that's what an AI or a computer system can do is just filter through and be fed in and say, this person did actually end up with the disease state. This is what their brain scan looked like, right? And so it, the computer can start linking all those things together and saying, these are the, the key characteristics and it'll look for certain patterns and changes that it's looking for. And it can just keep that on record and apply that. Hello and welcome back to For the Future, your podcast about future tech with a normal spin around Industry 4.0. And today, you can see by the title, we will be discussing healthcare and how that has all been interlinked and utilized with Industry 4.0. But first, as always, we have a little bit of news. Michael, what do you have today? Yeah, so I found a, uh, a cool new company launch. Uh, it's, the title is Jetson. Um, and they are going to be commercializing a flying drone, but it's not for, um, you know, cam like taking pictures or forestry or anything like that. It's an actual vehicle. Um, so if you like to get out and, you know, ride four by fours or whatever else you like to do to get out on the weekend and have fun, um, instead you could be flying around the desert in a giant quadcopter. So, um, definitely check them out. Very cool. It looks super cool. Unfortunately, if you want to reserve one, um, they are entirely sold out for 2022. Uh, you'll have to wait for 2023. And yeah, chassis 14 and 15 have already been reserved for 2023, but there are three left and available. So if you have 90K burning in your pocket, that's I think what like the down payment is, or maybe that's the whole price, but it looks like a giant go-kart with eight propellers on it. That you can fly around the desert in. Oh, okay. Wait, hold on. It's only it's twenty two thousand to put down a deposit. Ninety two thousand for a partial or for an entire vehicle. Oh, easy. Oh, and it's you can get a partially assembled kit, and then you can finish building it yourself to save that a little seems, money. So, that seems dangerous. <laughs> so you know, if you've ever had a dream of building a giant Swiss engineered quadcopter to fly around in on the weekends. There you go. You can get, you can save a little money, and you can you can finish building it yourself. So that's a pretty cool one to check out, though. They did a nice, a drone flying around with drone footage of the drone <laughs> flying around the desert. So it, it looks pretty awesome, though, from the demo. Um, so check that out. So maybe uh, flying cars are closer to it being reality than y'all think. And I do love the connection that they named it Jetson. And in the old cartoon, the Jetsons, they had flying cars that didn't use propellers, but. I still like it. Isn't that called like a, an homage to, uh, is that what it's called? Is it, am I using that word right? Homage. The name is uh, an homage to the old cartoon. Yes. Dedication to someone or something. You're right. Yes. You got it, man. Very good. Vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And let's jump into this week's topic. We're talking about healthcare in industry 4.0. And like one of the first little stats I read about it when we were researching is that by 2025, it's estimated that just AI in healthcare will be a $200 billion industry, which is so crazy large. But in my mind, it seems like that's probably something that is real. There's tons of money in healthcare. And if we can use AI in certain aspects that we'll discuss in a little bit, there's plenty of room for growth and opportunity to like actually save lives with this technology. So I, I 100% believe that. And I'm sure this is a big focus for a lot of 
data and tech companies in California and around the world. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and and healthcare is traditionally like the most conservative as far as adopting new technologies. I mean, aerospace is another one that's pretty um, late to the game to adopt new technologies and uh, and techniques and things like that. But it, healthcare is even even further back from that. I mean, um, I know a common example that you know entrepreneurs will talk about is we're still we're still using crutches that were designed in like the 16th century, and like the, right. the crutch has not changed design it's terrible everyone hates them and nobody has been able to innovate or change that for three or four hundred years yeah so, they i mean there's pits they're like the worst yeah they're they're awful i mean anybody who's had to use them for a while or same thing with casts i mean like we've been doing the same type of technology for making casts for hundreds of years which is crazy and they suck and they're terrible and anybody who's been a uh you know a younger, a younger man with a broken arm over a summer understands really quickly how gross and nasty they get um, yeah, pretty quickly yeah. playing outside in the in the summer. So, I mean, there's just a lot of examples like that where I think, and it, for it to be to grow that much in the next four years, there has to be some sort of a slingshot effect where like all these technologies are just going to catch up really quickly to the healthcare mm-hmm. system, which is I think great. Um, and I think you, I think you see it with you know we're going to talk about wearables. Um, you know, robots being introduced, better software and AI type clients integrating in, um, and I think you're seeing that happen all. Like every time you go back to the dentist, like the dentist's office or the doctor's office, you're seeing some of that coming in. Um, so it's cool to see that starting to catch up, and I, I think it's going to really slingshot forward um, to totally change everything over the next couple of years to to get to get to a two hundred billion dollar industry, and that's huge. Yep, totally agree. So in this episode, we wanted to cover kind of like five major areas in Industry 4.0 that we see these different types of technologies being implemented. And the first one is kind of what we just mentioned, AI and machine learning. And I know previously we've talked about how machine learning is being used to comb through large um, databases of pictures and x-ray scans from people who have suffered um, you know, different head trauma or chest trauma and you know, these are being processed through the machine learning and that machine learning uses it to kind of identify early on in certain diseases, like, okay, this person might have, you know, dementia based on what dementia uh, brain scans look like. You know, this, these are just like kind of key criteria that humans just looking at x-rays might not pick up on just being able to look at like millions and millions of x-rays and make mm-hmm. decisions like that with AI and machine learning. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like, you know, a human might start start to learn it if they could look at, you know, tens of thousands of brain scan images of all the same type of patient, you know, and yeah. that's what a, that's what an AI or a computer system can do is just filter through and be fed in and say, this person did actually end up with the disease state. This is mm-hmm. what their brain scan looks like. Right. And so it, the computer can start linking all those things together and saying, these are the the key characteristics and it'll look for certain patterns and changes that it's looking for. And it can just keep that on record and apply that. And it can keep adding to the database and saying, Nope, this isn't what it looks like. This is what it looks like. And it can keep refining. So you can see how through that process, just like how a, a person learns over time, those machine learning algorithms can do that, but just much, much faster. Um, right. Like another take a team of, sorry, it might take yeah. like a team of doctors to do that in like 10 years, but this computer could, go through all that stuff in 10 hours or 10 months or something like on a way yep. faster timeline. And as soon as that, and as soon as that like new, you know, it says like, Hey, this pattern, this, this, um, 
feature these black spots here and there mm-hmm. or whatever, that means this disease state. It can share that to all the machines all around the world instantaneously. Right. So now you don't have to fly like a you know expert team of doctors around to like treat one person. You can just roll it out to every single clinic in the entire world and they can instantly all just get upgraded like that. And they're all feeding into each other. So it's just scaling it to such a such a point that it's it's hard to even comprehend at some points, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it's making us healthier. It's making us better. We're catching things earlier on, right? So, um, you know, prevention is worth a lot more than, you know, a cure later on. That's the how the saying goes. Um, and another one that was interesting to look at was, uh, so Facebook actually has an AI company and they're partnering with a, um, a health center out of uh, New York University. And they are, they are developing something called Fast MRI. And it's kind of along the same lines as these, these brain scanning, you know, x-rays and other technologies. But they're basically saying that they can speed up the MRI process, which if anybody has gone in for an MRI, it's a long, tedious, terrible process where they strap you down inside this machine. And it just it can take like up to four hours sometimes oh, geez. Um, to do like a full body scan or, or whatever. And they're, they're claiming that with just downsampling and it's, it's a, if you've ever taken like a, a computer vision course, you learned a lot about like downsampling and stuff, but basically it can scan like one tenth the data and it can extrapolate in between and recreate image, like super sample images back that are indistinguishable from a full traditional MRI. So they can literally reduce the amount of time you have to spend in an MRI by 10 times, which is crazy. I and mean, that's amazing. So um, and they're, you know, you, they're also applying the same techniques to look for and identify disease states. So really, really cool stuff going on in that field. And that's tangible. I mean, if, if you were to go in and it's like, okay, this is going to be a four hour procedure and now it's, you know, 20 minutes, that's a big deal. Right. And I mean, hopefully there's some cost savings with that too for totally you as a you know customer of the mm-hmm. healthcare system, at least here in the United States. You would, you would hope. Yeah. <laughs> or the hospital just gets more profitable. So there you go. <laughs> Um, the next area we wanted to cover is wearables and me being an Apple watch user. This is something that makes a lot of sense to me. And I do believe I'm even participating in some of this stuff, but doctors being able to look at large scale studies of people who wear watches. Like, so let's say there's a certain group of people that have just suffered from like heart attacks. If they all wear Apple watches or Fitbits that track their heart rate, they can look at, okay, after an exercise, you know, their heart rate went down, you know, every minute went down 10 beats per minute or something. They can just like Mm -hmm. look at that heart rate data or even sleep data and just pull from all these people without having to like, you know, don't have to sit in a room and be studied. It's just like happening behind the scenes. So that's Mm -hmm. something that's, it's this big data that we talk about, but being able to extrapolate different data points from that is something that doctors in various areas of research can use and further research that'll hopefully save lives. Yeah, definitely. And you hear all the time that in like health healthcare and like those type of research studies, like getting large sample sets is really important and really mm-hmm. expensive and hard to do. So there haven't been a lot of like really well done, like large scale projects. Um, and I think like these wearable devices where just everybody is just wearing an Apple Watch because it has cool other features, but also it's building these these medical uh, data sets out for researchers. Um, I mean, that's a win-win. So that's really cool to see. And hopefully more and more of that is going to keep happening as we, you know, just adopt more and more devices into our lives. I know like one that I really care for, and I'm, I'm not an Apple watch user at the moment. Um, I'm thinking about switching though, is that like, I know 
it'll go through and it looks at like heart rate variability. And that's something like I'm a Garmin watch user and Mm -hmm. uh, like over time they've added that in and it's gotten better and better. So like if I have like a really crazy busy day going to the airport, it'll shoot me a reminder and it says, Hey, you you know, your recovery time, like for workouts or just, you know, feeling, feeling normal again is going to be increased because you've had a super stressful day, like get extra sleep, like take it easy tomorrow. And it's, it's spot on. Like it no like if I'm going through airports and stuff, like every time I travel, it knows that I'm like stressed out going through airports and stuff. Every single time. That's so interesting. It's really so interesting. Cool. It, it and it, it's it's to the point where like you you're starting to say, like, ah oh, man, like you just like feel it in your, you know, your jawbones right. or whatever. You're kinda like clenching your teeth a little bit. Like you know that's happening. And then your watch is like, yeah, you're you're like you're showing signs of being stressed out. It's like, ah, interesting. So I don't know. More of that kind of stuff is just nice to keep, you know, pay attention to. I mean, we're also engineering nerds, so we like data <laughs> and we like to look at graphs and stuff. So we're probably on the on the cutting edge of that a little bit, like keeping track of that. But right. as those devices actually provide value, you know, I think that'll get to be more and more common. Um, so yeah, cool to cool to see the the watches are a big one, but I'm sure there'll be more and more yeah. as time goes on. One of the technologies I thought was really cool for this, you know, it's kind of a wearable, kind of not really, is placing smart sensors in hospital beds that will just continually monitor vitals. Because that is like, we were talking about this, like nurses have to make rotations and they just go in there and say, okay, you're doing fine. You feel good. Okay, got on my next patient. Can you imagine if there was like a, you know, we've talked about Tableau before, but like a Tableau dashboard that just has all of the beds in the hospital and their vitals live, just saying, okay, this is this person's heart rate. And it has, you know, visuals for lower heart rates or higher heart rates or, you know, all these different Mm -hmm. things. But, you know, I forget what's even the sensor on your fingertip. Is that your heart rate too? Um, Whatever. I think that's true. Yeah. I think it is true. Yeah. So that stuff's like already up there. But if you had it in their bed, just a a sensor on the back and you could continually monitor that data, that would be, you'd be able to free Mm -hmm. up nurses to be doing, we always talk about this, like, but like more value added work than just kind of going and spot checking each bed every you know, 15 minutes or whatever it is, um, they could be doing other things. Yeah. And I can't imagine there aren't like some hospitals are doing that because it's such like, and because we're from the manufacturing side, like we're just used to, um, you know, six Sigma, like lean six Sigma, uh, ideas. So like, and on lights and having like centralized locations where all the data feeds in and you only go and deal with a problem once it's been detected and that's automated. Like that's just, the first thing that somebody with that type of training is going to do when they walk into a place. So I'm sure there's hospitals that have adopted that, but I've mm-hmm. also been listening to stories about like, you know, sh- staffing shortages in, in hospitals where nurses are complaining about like, they don't have time for, they can't even keep up with going around and doing rounds and, and checking vital signs and everybody. And that's like leading to, you know, patients getting poorer care. And it's to somebody from the manufacturing side, it's like, that's crazy that they have to go, and actually like visually look at a a screen that's in one room, that data could literally just be piped into the nursing station and all the vitals for all the rooms could be on one board and just be monitored there. Right. Um, yeah. So, and I, like I said, I'm sure, you know, if you're listening, you're like, ah, our hospital does that. It's like, yeah, I'm sure there are some that do that, but I also bet there are some, you know, not very well funded rural hospitals somewhere that, you know, can't keep up and they're, they don't have that kind of technology yet where that I mean, like should especially be more widespread. Yeah. Especially during COVID when a lot of hospitals mm-hmm. and ICU beds have been absolutely jam packed. And so I know nurse, nurse staffing has been an issue. So I'm exactly. wondering if there's been a difference with hospitals that have had this technology and then the ones that don't, I'm sure it's, there has been. Yeah. 
Another area I thought would be very interesting, you know, using your your watch data is I feel like, you know, like mental health care and like a lot of people don't have access to go into a psychologist, but like if you're doing telemedicine and like tele mental health care, if they could see, you know, like you were just talking about like your stress levels, like if your watch is capable mm-hmm. of kind of determining, oh, you're pretty stressed out on Wednesday afternoon. Do you like, do you want to talk about like what was going on Wednesday afternoon? And, like without having to like make the patient like go through their week, you'd already have some step ups mm-hmm. on maybe what their week looked like just based on uh, yeah. heart rates and, and stuff like that. So I think that would be interesting if they're using that, like you know, when you sign up for a service, like, Hey, you have an Apple watch. Do you, would you allow us to, you know, kind of take data for your psychologist to look at? And it could be interesting to see. Yeah. I think that's cool to start connecting it and using that as a signal. Cause I think, uh, that's a, a big thing that I'm a big fan of is like really getting into preventative healthcare and medicine versus trying to cure everything. And I know that's right. not something that America does very well. Um, that's just not something where we're a more, you know, fix the problem once it's there kind of society versus, you know, yeah, reactive that's versus a more, like preventative. We're more react. Exactly. We're not proactive or more reactive. And that's a big yeah. difference between like European healthcare and American healthcare. But um, being able to catch, a bad day and deal with it on the spot versus letting it build until it is a larger Mm -hmm. issue. Um, I think that's a really cool idea and being able to just have an automatic signal from that. Cause I think if you remove the barrier of entry, like, Oh man, I'm really not doing well. I need to call somebody. If it just like pinged you and said, Hey, you've had a bad couple of days. Like, are you doing okay? Like, do you want to check in with, do you want to have your counsel, like check in with you real quick or like a life coach just check in with you really quick? Like, you know, um, I don't know. I think that could be, that's a really cool idea. Um, I've never, I've never heard that before. I thought of that, but that's cool. And then the last one, just to keep this moving along is, uh, actually, if you go to the Apple store, you can get a connected, um, blood glucose monitoring device right off the app store or right off the Apple store. It's a hard, it's a piece of hardware, but it has a companion app that goes with it. Um, and so this one's not implanted. That's uh, I think a good one to note. I think uh, Nick Jonas is, he sponsors one that is, I think more of an implanted one that just, real-time monitors your blood glucose levels but this one is is still connected and i think it still takes a a drop of blood but it 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 just goes right and logs it right to your iphone and you can see all the all the information right there on it so cool to see um that level of connected device versus having this little widget that you have to carry around along with your Mm -hmm. phone and still have to prick you know do little um, pin pricks every once in a while so um, very cool stuff for individuals that you know, have to have to work with that, you know, multiple times yeah. a day, every day. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Hopefully we start seeing more of that stuff for different conditions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, so Mark dug up all kinds of stuff on VR and uh, it looks like just VR this time. I think we should be a little more specific about that after our, our previous episode on right. This is virtual just reality virtual and reality. No exact, augmentation here. No augmentation here. Exactly. So... Yeah, I, I was reading some articles and they're saying that, you know, in recent years, people who like suffered from dementia, they've been doing studies with, you know, placing virtual reality systems on them and like kind of taking them back to very memorable locations from their past that they might not remember at all and trying to like mm. activate certain memories. And I'm assuming that they probably do some sort of brain scanning while they do this to see if, you know, are there certain mm-hmm. areas that get activated during these um, VR sessions that we can learn from and see what's what's going on in the brain? Dementia affects a, a lot of people. And so I know there's a lot of research going into it. So this is a very interesting 
mm-hmm. kind of technology in my mind. And it, like, I, it's it's interesting because it's a more involved um, experience. But have you seen the ones where they'll play like music? Like they'll have in, individuals listen to music from their from their time period or like people who were really good musicians, like listen to like a piece of music that they wrote and yeah. like their brain just lights up. And it's like, that's really, really cool to see. And I wonder if like a VR setup could be like a next level of that because it's visual, it's audio, it's there's a lot more yeah. senses involved. So maybe it's a more powerful, more powerful response for that. Right. I mean, think of like, so like if a musician, you know, had played at this crazy, you know, concert one time and mm-hmm. they were like a piano player and they put them right back into like a piano seat and they looked out at the crowd and they could see like pretty much what it looked like back when they were there. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can imagine that'd be quite an overwhelming experience and memory. Yeah. Yeah, it'd just be cool to relive that too. If you right. even if you didn't have dementia, I'd right? be able to go yeah. back to those kind of things. Like you have those those little glasses recording all the time, and you could just drop back into really cool moments in your life. I don't know. That'd be kind of. And cool. it reminds me of that. Have you watched Black Mirror or not? A little bit, like the really early episodes. Oh, okay. I haven't watched it, it lately, but there was one episode where they all wear contacts that record everything, and so you can go mm. back and live your life through your contact memories. So that's when you said, "Okay, so there's already been a Black Mirror me- episode on." That means it's not uh, too yeah. bad of an idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another example I was looking at is that people have started using VR for like pain management, kind of like create an escape from you know i think it was like lower back pain or something like that kind of like chronic conditions that are hard to treat with methods besides you know pain meds and so kind of creating really really intense escapes can help with pain management so i thought that was also a very interesting idea because most people think of vr as entertainment and like socializing Mm -hmm. but using these examples in the healthcare industry it's like kind of just like eye-opening and, and I'll say it again, like we're we're limited by our imagination. So if we think that VR is meant for entertainment, that you might get kind of stuck there. Like let's mm-hmm. try it in different areas and see what all happens. Yeah, exactly. And then the last like kind of VR uh, example I researched was like empathy training for doctors. So, hmm. I mean, doctors don't have dementia or Parkinson's. So being able to kind of go into an experience of, you know, what it might be like to have, you know, Parkinson's disease or dementia would help you empathize with your patients and mm. kind of get in their psyche, in their, you know, you know, what their thought process might be like in that disease. And mm-hmm. then I can only imagine that that would help with treatment. And it's like, well, what I'm doing right now doesn't really make sense anymore after I kind of experienced what it's like. Let's try something else. So I thought that was something I'd never never even crossed my mind that yeah. doctors would be using VR besides like training or the kind of examples mm-hmm. we talked about in last, in our last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of building, building a relationship with a, with a patient or giving them yeah. a different experience. Right. Yeah. Cause I, mm-hmm. that's probably really, that's really tough for someone who's young to like, just even empathize with someone who's going through that. Right. I mean, that's right. It's tough to, tough to pull off and it's cool that VR could even, create that kind of scenario but right moving on from uh from vr we're gonna talk about robotics a little bit here quick and i think a lot of people are familiar with the da vinci robot i think that's like it's been out for a number of years now and actually if you've had sur- like any real you know more major or more serious surgery you probably had it done by a, a da vinci robot um, hmm. which is crazy to think and i mean if you you know if you've got some time go google a picture and like look at the da vinci robot i mean it literally looks like something out of Star Wars. I mean, it's 
that's really, it's really, really cool. And it's, and it's amazing how it, you know, is so much less invasive and it, it improves, you know, patient outcome significantly. It, you know, reduces recovery time, all those type of things. Right. I mean, it's just awesome all the way around. Um, and it's amazing that that's how surgeons are basically being trained now is to operate these, these, uh, devices that are, um, augmenting the ability of a surgeon. Right. Um, and on top of that, and not just to talk about something that's kind of been around and you might already know about, um, you know, if you go look at it, like investing platforms, um, there's a huge focus uh, in the medical community on like these new up and coming um, robot, like surgeon robotic uh, companies that are coming up through the ranks. So um, I think one of them I said I was looking at had like 12 companies to be looking at, which is crazy to think that there's that many in the space right. um, competing with DaVinci. So what are the what are the next generation robotic surgeon devices going to look like? I mean, you can only imagine, um, you know, DaVinci was just the is just the beginning. So mm-hmm. cool to see. And we'll have to keep keep an eye on that. But, um, you know, they're going to be able to handle more and more different types of surgeries, more complicated maybe be even, even more miniaturized, you know, have even smaller, uh, incisions, less incisions. Um, that's always a good thing for, you know, reducing recovery times from, from those type of operations. Right. And just to be clear, so people aren't freaked out if they need to go get a surgery and they, the doctor says, yeah, we use a Da Vinci robot. It is controlled by the doctor. It's not like doing surgeries Mm -hmm. by itself. It just helps with precision and yeah, like it's more minimally invasive. So, yeah. Yeah, like you were like uh, we were chatting before the show, and it, it really it helps like re- reduce any little air and movement. It's more of like you only you have to like really drive it forward, and like it kind of helps smooth out the the operation and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it also, if you take a look at it, it's like four large robotic arms that can be positioned in any direction. So it can be like go in there, it can have like a little hole, a little arm holding something open while another one's going in. So. Um, that's kind of how this the system operates, and then you have a surgeon right there, um, yeah, moving all the controls of the actual implement. So that's kind of to get a, a real quick overview of how that system works. And the last area we're talking about is five G and Wi Fi six. So thinking back to some of the previous examples we talked about today, you know, we have our AI machine learning. All these take big data and they crunch it, so we need to be able to view and collect that data in like a timely manner. So having the increased mm-hmm. bandwidth and speed of 5G and Wi-Fi 6 will help with that. Similarly with, you know, wearables, collecting all that data from millions and millions of users with, you know, mm-hmm. you have your Apple Watches, your Fitbits, your Garmins, all that needs to be collected and then further, you know, analyzed and then, you know, processed to make decisions. So all this, we've talked about, you know, we've had specific episodes on 5G and Wi-Fi 6. So it's all kind of the same idea, but all linking it back to this healthcare aspect of it. We got to take all the data we're collecting in and make it useful, make it meaningful. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is because there could be, there could be so much useful data to collect. So first you got to get the devices there and start using them. Right. Then you got to be able to get all that data from the devices to someone's computer to start slicing and dicing. Right. Then you have to actually, once you've collected all the data, then you can start, you know, working with it and um, you know, making improvements based on it. But there is that huge piece of being able to link the devices to like the actual, the computer, the servers, wherever it's being stored. Right. And, you know, 5G and Wi-Fi 6 are really kind of that highway for the data to be able to make it down. Right. If you're going to all of a sudden jam 10 times, a hundred times as much data through our current system, it 
it, it isn't going to work. So these kind of technologies are absolutely paramount to being able to um, kind of taking that next step into really the, the value then is, is having those huge data sets from all over the world, all over the country, wherever it might be. Um, and then compiling that together and being able to start drawing inferences from it. Right. And even like thinking back to like the wearables with you know, smart sensors and hospital beds, like imagine now you're getting, let's say like a minimum of like five data points per bed and you have like hundreds of mm-hmm. beds in your hospital and you're all trying to display that information live on a dashboard. Yeah you're yeah. going to need some beefed up networking to complete that yeah. task. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it can, you know, depending on what you want to take a look at and stuff, I mean, it'd be pretty easy to talk to someone who's in automation. They could probably come up with a hundred, a hundred sensors to put into a hospital you know, mm-hmm. room, like per room, every single right. one of them. And <laughs> depending yeah. on what is going on with that patient, you might add more. Uh, so, and if you're sampling, taking multiple samples per second from every one of those, from a couple, you know, 50 beds in a larger hospital, you know, that's a, that is a, a ton of data to, to move across that network. And then, you know, somebody has got to you know, process it, take a look at it. So, um, a lot of opportunity for, for folks who are interested in that field. Maybe they don't want to be a surgeon directly, you know, blood kind of freaks them out, but, um, you still want to work on, uh, you know, helping out people and, um, working in the healthcare system. I mean, I think like, you know, more computer science focused jobs are really going to become a big, big thing as part of the healthcare system as they're trying to adopt all these newer technologies like we talked about earlier in this episode. So, yes. And with that, I think that's where we're going to end today's episode. As always, I kind of have a question out to our listeners or is anyone in the healthcare industry? Have you noticed trends of, you know, technological advancements with data collection or even like robotics in your facility? Are you a higher tech or maybe like a medium tech facility? It'd be interesting to hear from, you know, if any of our listeners are in that area. Yeah, we're always interested in uh, getting feedback from our users. We're looking for episode ideas. Um, If you're interested in coming on the show, we're always excited to um, entertain those ideas and see where that could fit in with the, um, the show in general. So any of that stuff, reach out to our Gmail um, and that's for the future podcast pod. at pod at gmail.com. I was gonna say yeah. F O U R the future pod at gmail.com. I got there that down. Is. I've only been saying it for yep. all the weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on Reddit. You can email us directly. Um, you know, if you're if you like the show and you'd like to share it with your friends, still the best way to do that is to uh, send a link directly. Um, I still think it's fairly difficult to to find us if you don't get a direct link. Um, but yeah, we appreciate that. Every little bit helps. Um, it's fun watching our, our user base or our user base or our listening audience, uh, growing week by week, especially as we're a little more diligent again about, uh, getting to weekly or biweekly episodes. So, um, mm. it's a lot of fun and, uh, we love the, love some of the feedback we're already getting from, from our audience. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And with that, with I guess that, we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll sign <laughs> out. So I'm Michael and, and this is Mark and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.